Heavenly Father, God, we recognize that you are worthy. And that's a word for us, Lord, that's hard to really understand what it means. Because, Father, you're, you're worthy of so much more than we could ever say or ever share. You're worthy of so much more than we realize. Father, we today just thank you that you are willing that you are willing to send your son to be our savior. You're willing to send your son to show us the way to live. You are willing to allow him to be mocked and persecuted and crucified on a cross that his blood might be shed so that we might be forgiven. Father, no matter what it is in this life that is required of us to be a part of your family and to be a faithful servant, we recognize that it's nothing in comparison to what you have already given and what you've already extended to us. And Father, today as we, as we talk about what it means to be, to be in relationship with other people, Lord, we recognize that so much of what we know of how to be in a great relationship comes from the relationship that you have demonstrated for us. God, we thank you for the love that you have for us and that you've shown to us. I just pray the Lord this morning as we open your word that you might open our hearts to what it is you have to say to us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for the last few weeks, guys, we've been taking a look at a series of lessons on the family. And it's something that we do on occasion because families are important to the church. But not only that, families are important to you. We are people that are created to have relationships, to live in a relationship, to, uh, to, to function in relationships. And if we don't have those, uh, we, we find ourselves in a very, very, very difficult situation. You remember that when God created Adam and he put him in the garden, he, he really created him in an absolutely perfect environment. He was a perfect person. He had a, had a, had a perfect job, right? He had a, had a, oh, I'm being signals. I'm reading, they say that the, I should bunt to third base. Um, okay, uh, kids, you guys are released to go over to uh, next door. There we go. All right. Hey, Jason's a slow guy when it comes to signals right there. That's why I never had a promising career in baseball right there. Yeah, students, if you guys, uh, if you guys would like, you guys head next door. Mr. Devin is there and ready to teach you guys today. So um, anyway, now that I, I, I completely forgot where I was, well, I'm on stage and I'm preaching a sermon. That's right. Um, yeah, we, uh, we, we, we are people created for a relationship. Adam needed that, and God looked at Adam even though everything was perfect. He had everything that we want to have. We had the perfect job, as I said. He had the perfect, uh, the perfect environment, perfect house. He had the uh, perfect relationship with God, but God said it's not good because Adam was alone, and God recognized that being alone is not how we are created to be. We are created to be people that have relationships, and every one of us in this room today have some kind of relationship, right? We, it may be that we have a, a nuclear family kind of relationship, a husband or a wife, kids or grandkids. Uh, some of us have, have, a, have a more extended relationship. We have, have a relationship with aunts and uncles or with cousins or with nieces and nephews. And all of us corporately as a church 
have a church family relationship. And that extends to people within this room here today, but it also extends outside of this room, right? Because people have grown up in the church here and they've moved to other places. They're still part of our church family. They're still part of, uh, of our heart. Um, they, uh, there's people that have moved here from other places, right? And uh, they're now worshiping and serving in this place. But they have church family in the places where they came from and where they grew up. And so we are people that navigate and, and, and have a lot of relationships. And one of the most difficult things about relationship is communication, isn't it? It's one of those things that just the, when we say the word communication, it kind of strikes fear in most of us because communication is difficult. It's difficult because sometimes we, we, don't, we don't do a good job of it. One of my favorite quotes about communication comes from a guy named Bernard Shaw, and he said this. He says, uh, the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it existed and or it has taken place, right? The single biggest problem with communication is the illusion that has taken place. And what he means by that is simply this, that, that we think that we've said something to somebody, but did we really say it? Did they hear what we intended to say? Did they take the intended meaning that we were communicating it with? Did we use the right words to be able to get that point across? Was our body language saying one thing while our words were saying something? You guys know the deal, right? If you've lived long and had a conversation with somebody, you know how difficult communication is. And it's only become more difficult, I think, in the last few years. For those of you who are like children of the 70s and early 80s, like myself, uh, you guys grew up in a world where there was fairly simple kinds of communication. Now, my grandparents grew up in a world where communication was even simpler because if you were going to communicate with somebody, there was two ways that you would communicate. You either got a piece of paper and a pen, and you wrote out a letter that you would then put in an envelope, stick in a box, or take into town and drop off, or you would go to their house and see them, right? So you would, you would get on the horse or ride on the buggy, go over, sit down in the living room, and you would have a conversation. And in some ways, that's a very, very simple way for us to communicate. There's not a lot of confusion right there. And it's a pretty safe way to communicate, right? You write a letter. You, you spend time thinking about that. You're thinking about the word choice you're using, uh, how to spell the words if you're like me, right? But you're, 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 you're thoughtful about that, and it, it's something you put effort into. And you might write that letter, and then you have to wait a day or two to put it in the mail. And you might think, you know what? I don't want to write that letter. I'm going to write another letter because <laughs> I don't really want to say it like that today. Or, or when, you, when you drive over to meet somebody at their house, right? You're sitting in the living room with them or out on the front porch. You're having a meaningful, like, person-to-person -person conversation. But if you were like myself when I grew up, we grew up in a world where there was this telephone and you would, you would pick it up and you would call somebody and you would talk with them. And then when I was in college, email came in. We thought, wow, this is amazing, right? You can like write out a letter really, really quick, press send. It does all kind of fancy voodoo and it makes it to somebody else on the other side of the world and they download it on their computer. And it wasn't like but five years when 90% of the email we were getting was in junk mail. You know, if you guys remember that, we had no way to filter it in those days. So you would open up your mailbox and we'd go ding, 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 ding. And um, there'd be all kinds of letters from people trying to sell, or sell you stuff from everywhere in the world, nothing that you wanted. And, um, and we, we kind of managed that. And then we got the smartphone, which really kind of led the way into texting. Now, some of you guys were awesome texters. Uh, those of you who grew up in the 90s, you guys were amazing texters with the little keypad thing. That was just a little past my time. Any, were any of you guys really good at texting with the keypad? Any, any, any good keypad texters here? 
And some of you guys were, because I, I know you were. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, some people, I, I remember talking to students, and they're, they're like looking at me like this, and they're just texting, you know, just by number and counting. I'm like, how do you guys do that, right? But when we got the smartphone, we're all good at that. And then we, we realized, well, this is tough, because I, I, write a, I write a note to somebody, and I really don't have any way to kind of, you know, short, there's not a lot of punctuation. So we had to create emojis so we could put emotion with that. Comp- it's complicated. Communication is complicated, right? So now we, we're always kind of writing out a text and we're looking at that text. Is there any alternate way this could be, could be taken? We all, know com- we all know communication is difficult. This morning, we're going to try to simplify this a little bit. We're going to talk about how the master communicator did it. Because ultimately, the greatest communicator, in my opinion, to ever live was Jesus Christ. Jesus is known to this day as being one of the greatest communicators ever to live. In fact, there was a time in Jesus' ministry when soldiers were dispatched to arrest Jesus. They knew he was in a particular place. He was preaching. Shouldn't be hard to find him, right? Except that the soldiers come back empty-handed, and the, the, the authorities who sent them are furious, and they say, what is the explanation of this? And they say, well, here's the problem. We went. Jesus was preaching. We listened. He spoke so powerfully that we just came back without him. Let me tell you guys, that is an amazing, amazing speaker. I mean, if they sent somebody today to arrest me, you guys well know that some of you would help them arrest me, right? You're like, get him out of here, right? But, but not the case with Jesus. Jesus had, had power. He had conviction when he spoke to the people. Even the people who were not there to listen, were there to arrest him, were so moved by the content of what he said and how he said it that they had a discussion among themselves, and they're like, we're not arresting this dude today. And they went back empty-handed. That was the kind of person that Jesus was. He had powerful, powerful communication skills. And we're going to just explore a few of those today in the time that we have here. So let, let me just tell you, though, before we jump into that, we're going to kind of look at this in two bites. And the first bite is this. There are some roadblocks to good communication. We should talk about those before we jump into what good communication looks like, because you can want to be a great communicator. But if you don't, if you have some of these roadblocks to good communication, the communication is going to get stopped before it ever reaches its intended target. That's kind of what Bernard Shaw was talking about. So um, let, let's look at these. There's just four of them, and we'll go through them quickly. Um, but four things that we may have or others may have, if we have those as a part of our life or our emotional state at that time, communication might be interrupted at best or completely blocked at, at worst. And the first one of those is this, the lack of honesty. In order to have a real relationship with somebody, to really have an, a good conversation with somebody, we've got to be honest. And you're going to hear this theme pop up several times today. It, I have become so thoroughly convinced that a lot of our communication with people just isn't honest. And, and that leads to a lot of well, miscommunication and disinformation. And it's, it's hard for us sometimes, to be honest, and sometimes our lack of honesty is not, does not come from a, a devious sort of mindset. We're not trying to lead people astray. Some people do that too, but, but a lot of times we're just maybe not wanting to engage in that kind or that honest or that brutal of a conversation. We're maybe trying to avoid a conflict or avoid hurt feelings, but the problem is, is that when we're not honest with somebody, we're just pushing that ball kind of down the road. 
And sometimes that ball tends to pick up mass, and sometimes that ball tends to pick up speed. So what would have been an easy thing to deal with a year or two before becomes this huge issue because we've kind of just helped it down the road a little bit rather than dealing with that. Paul talks about this in Ephesians the fourth chapter, in verse number 29. He says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one body. So he said, guys, let's, let's be truthful with other people because the reality is that you are members of one family, one body. Even though maybe it's maybe we're not talking about just your corporate family, but certainly if you have a, a husband, wife, and a family and kids or grandkids, you, you have a corporate family and you are a member of one family, right? Here's the thing that we sometimes forget even in the church context. If we're less than honest with somebody else in our family, we're creating an opportunity for a couple things to happen. Number one, Satan might continue to work in somebody's life or work in that misinformation gap, which happens a lot, right? Or, or number two, we might, be, we might be holding somebody out that can really help us or somebody that we can really help out. Imagine your own physical body, guys. Imagine if all of a sudden your own physical body ceased to be honest with you. So you think that all of a sudden you're cold, but you're really hot. Or you think you're hot, but you're really cold. Or you think something feels good, but it's actually injuring you, right? No, you would freak out about that, and rightfully so, because you, you, you depend on the extremities of your body sending back reliable data to your brain, right? So if something's hot, pull your hand off of it. If it's cold, you put on a coat. If, if something is hurting you, you stop doing that, right? And, and, and so if we're getting the wrong signal from our body, well, you would immediately go to the doctor and say, there's something profoundly wrong from me. And in like way, if you just stopped receiving information from a part of your body, I have a little back injury, and uh, there's a part of my leg that I just don't feel, right? And it's kind of a weird thing. You touch that part of your leg, and hmm, there's nothing there. I don't know if I'm touching it or not. And it uh, kind of plays a trick on your mind, and it should because you're supposed to get feedback from your body. That's what Paul is talking about right here. And honesty or good feedback is absolutely essential if we're going to have quality communication. So th that's one of the first things that is a roadblock to good communication, and that is if we're not honest. The second thing kind of blends in with this. And I wish that I had rewritten this step. Um, if, I, if I could have, over the break, I would have, but I didn't have enough time in the gap. Um, but what I put was a poor self-image. But what I really should have put was a non-truthful self-image. Because either, if you, if you, if you think that you're, you're not good enough to have that conversation, or if you think you're too good. So if you're struggling with a poor self-esteem or you're struggling with pride, both of those are gonna to contribute to you not having a realistic picture of who you are, right? And when you do that, that really breaks down communication because you're gonna think, I'm not worthy to have this conversation or they're not worthy for me to have this conversation. You're gonna think, they don't care to know what I really think, or you're gonna think, they don't deserve to know what I really think. And both of those are gonna stop any real meaningful conversation. So we need to be honest, but we also need to realize kind of who we are and realize that maybe we're not the best communicators in the world. Most of us, in fact, if I may say, probably all of us in this room today could be much better communicators. This is one of the greatest challenges that humans face. And part of the reason why I love preaching so much and I, I love to, to, to work in that kind of context because I... 
I'll be 90 years old, and if my brain still works and my voice is still strong, I hope that I can preach and teach and share in some capacity that God would choose to use me, and I can still become a better communicator. So everything that we're talking about today, this is a process. This is not a destination. You don't get there and all of a sudden become a great communicator. You learn to become a great communicator. The third thing is unresolved anger and frustration. If we have unresolved anger and frustration in our life, it will stop good communication. And a lot of times it's just because the bitterness of our own heart or the bitterness in another person just doesn't allow for us to have the emotional vulnerability that we need to really talk about something. In order to have a real conversation with somebody about something really important, both of us kind of have to let our guard down a little bit, right? Which is uncomfortable for me and maybe for you. I'm kind of a guarded sort of person. I grew up as an only kid, and um, so I didn't have siblings to really confide in. I had great parents, but, but I just kind of learned to be real comfortable with me. And, uh, and so when I, when I got married, and now I have this wonderful lady that thinks I'm great, um, don't you guys tell her that I'm not, all right? Um, but uh, <laughs> I have this wonderful lady who loves me to death, and thinks I'm great and wants to be a part of my life, there's a part of me that kind of, kind of is nervous about that. You know, I, I don't know what to do with this right here. I, I don't know if I want to reveal my, my deepest worries or my deepest concerns. Um, and, and, and unresolved anger and frustration, guys, the, the problem with those things is that under the surface, they just kind of are, well, kind of like Vesuvius. Vesuvius was a, was a volcano that erupted on Pompeii. Some of you guys might remember that, right? And no one in those days, they should have known it was about to explode, but they didn't know as much about the earth and about volcanoes. And they're just going about their normal everyday business when all of a sudden, after thousands of years, the forces inside of this dome of this old volcano let go and poof, and they're all covered in molten lava and ash, and they're buried forever. And, and today you can go and visit the city because it's almost miraculously preserved because it was just frozen in time. And the problem is, is that when we have all that emotional frustration and that anger that's behind the scenes, someday that's going to spill out. And the problem is, is that sometimes it will spill out not on the person who caused the anger, but on innocent people. Let's just say that you got a speeding ticket on the way home from work and you think, I was not speeding, all right? Or maybe you got a seatbelt ticket, like I did a few weeks ago, and, uh, and, uh, and you're mad at yourself because why didn't I put on the stupid seatbelt, right? And then you go home and, and, and something else happens and all of a sudden you blow up, all right? Well, that frustration had nothing to do with your, your child that maybe spilt milk. <laughs> it really had nothing to do with a spouse that asked a question that you really didn't want to deal with right then. It really had something to do with something else, but you hadn't resolved that anger and that frustration, and it just boils out in really caustic ways. And, and so, so the third kind of roadblock, if you will, to having good conversation with people is unresolved anger and frustration. So we, we've said that if you have a lack of honesty, that's going to stop good, com good communication. If you have a poor self-image or not a proper self-image, that's going to stop good communication. The third thing is if you have unresolved anger, that tends to get in the way of good communication. And number four, poor listening skills. How many of you here today are bad listeners. Come on. How many of you are bad listeners? All right. All right. Yep. I, I am. All right. I, I will admit. I have to work on that. I'm not. I want to engage my mouth, right? Did you tell me something? I have something to say. And unfortunately, it, my mouth tends to engage fairly rapidly on its own. All right. So some of you guys don't. This is not a problem for you because you didn't raise your hands. But um, just so you can understand those of us who do, uh, poor listening skills. <laughs> 
can be a really, really bad problem. It's easy for us to want to fix something or say something rather than listen to something. And so let's just use that as a jumping point to go to our second kind of conversation we want to have today. Those four things, and probably others, but those four things in, in essence are the things that often derail good communication. How can we have Christ-like communication? How can we learn to start the process of communicating with the world with the kind of power and the kind of convicting ability and the kind of honesty that Jesus was able to communicate with people with. Because quite frankly, we still study the writings of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus and we're blown away by what he says because it was just so powerful and so real. And people who don't even believe in Jesus look back and say he had to be one of the greatest communicators ever to live because of how he changed the world. And so how, how can we, how can we communicate more like Jesus communicated. Well, we said that, that bad listening skills are a liability, but good listening skills are a great asset. When we learn to become a good listener, that really opens a door for us to accomplish a lot. Let me say that who we listen to is probably one of the most important things to start this conversation. Jesus listened to somebody first before he listened to everybody else. You, you might, as well, I think we all know this, there are a million voices that are shouting for our attention in the world today, right? And a lot of that we let in. And, and I think maybe this is a conversation for another day, but I think sometimes there's a great value for us just to shut down all the other distractions in the world, all those voices, and just spend some time listening to the one voice that matters. But you think about it, we, every day we have thousands of voices that talk to us. We have our inner family that have a right and need to communicate with us, right? And they have opinions and feelings and desires and needs. And, and hopefully your family dynamic is that kind of place where you can talk about those kinds of things. And if it's not, you want to work toward that. So, so you, you have your inner family that has that kind of, those kinds of needs and wants. And then you have that bigger circle where you have the community of people that you live with and work with. Um, maybe you're at the, at the McDonald's and you're grabbing your sweet tea and a burrito for breakfast and someone wants to strike up a conversation or, or, or maybe, maybe you're at work and somebody is, the boss is like, hey, this is what we've got to get done today or I want you to take care of these orders. So we've got those voices that are talking to us because they're involved in our life or we're involved in their life and we need to and should have conversations with those people. But then there's, there's other conversations that come in too. We now live in a world full of social media. And so depending on whatever brand of social media you're into, if you like TikTok videos or if you're a YouTube kind of person, if you like Instagram, which is more pictures, but there's, there's stuff definitely communicated there, or Facebook or Twitter, um, where people are, they're definitely telling us things, right? And sometimes there's so much to listen to, we wonder, what should I listen to? Jesus' example, I think, is a great one. Jesus always listened to God first. Jesus was in tune with God, and he was, had, had a communication relationship with God that took precedent for him. If you've studied the life of Christ, you know this, and you've heard us preach through this several times, but it was not unusual for Jesus to just go out on his own, out into the wilderness somewhere, and pray. But what he's doing right there is he's... He's listening to God. He's reestablishing a connection with God. The first 40 days of his active ministry, Jesus is alone in the wilderness fasting and praying. He's shut out the noise of the world around him. 
And even though Jesus was a great minister, I mean, we, we look at moments where Jesus is trying to get away from people. He crosses over the Sea of Galilee. When he arrives on the other side, there's people with needs. And what does he do? He loves those people, right? He cares for them. He heals their sick. He lays hands and blesses their children. And then at the end of that day, he sends the disciples out. And where does he go? He goes to find solitude. He goes to quiet the noise of the world. Guys, if you may, if I may, may I give you permission to do that? You can shut off the TV and not have to know what's going on in the news. Um, you don't have to check out the weather on the Weather Channel app. Right? Now, some of you think so. It kind of makes life exciting. You just never know what you're going to go. Um, if you really want to live on the edge, get a Jeep with no roof, drive it to work, and then find out if it's going to rain or not. I mean, um, but, uh, but you can do that, right? You, you, you cannot check in on Facebook or on Instagram for a week or two if you need that space to first listen to what God is saying to you. After you're listening to what God is saying to you, Jesus did a great job of listening to other people. Dale Carnegie says something kind of interesting in his book on how to win friends and influence enemies. And I've never forgotten this, and I'm certain that Dale Carnegie is exactly right when he says that you can make more friends in two weeks by becoming a good listener than you can attract in two years trying to get people to listen to you. I'm going to repeat that again because it's kind of complicated, but it's huge. He said you can make more friends in two weeks by becoming a good listener than you can make in two years of trying to convince other people to listen to you. One of the greatest ways we can increase communication, I don't care if you're talking about with your spouse, with your children, with your neighbor, with your grandparents, is to learn to listen is to learn to just sit down and pay attention to what other people are saying. I learned a great lesson in communication from my mother when I was a kid because every Sunday my mom and dad would stop on the way home from church at a, at a Sheraton nursing home and we would take communion to a member of our church family who had multiple uh, sclerosis, MS, and was not able to get out of the nursing home. He was bedridden. But we would go and visit Vaughn and, uh, and, and so... All the way, on the way in, you know, in those days, nursing homes were not near as nice as they are now. And so all the way in, I always kind of regretted, I would, you know, I was a kid. So I was like, man, it stinks in there, you know. I don't want to go in there. And, and, and then the old people are going to want to talk to me. And I, I watched every Sunday, there was, there was two people. One, his, the guy's name was Fred and his wife's name was Lula, I think. But I remember Fred because every Sunday, Fred would have something to say to my mom. And, and, and we're going in there to go give Vaughn communion and then come back out so we can go home and eat lunch. Now, I don't know about you, but lunch is important to me. Some of you are thinking right now, Jason, shut up. I want to go eat lunch. Um, and I understand. Uh, but, but that's what I wanted. I wanted to go eat lunch, right? But, but we're going in, and, and every day, Fred would say, hey, Diana, hey, Diana. And he would want to tell her a story. And most of the time, I could have told him the story because he had told me the story before. But my mom, bless her heart, would always stop and listen and nod her head and act like that was the first time she heard it. And Fred was pretty sure that my mom was like vice God. He loved her to death. You know, he thought she was the sweetest person. Now, I lived with her, so I knew better. But um, <laughs> I hope mom can't see down from heaven right now. She's going to fuss me. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but she was. She was a wonderful person. But, but she taught me about how valuable it is just to listen. Jesus listened to other people. And not only did he listen, 
But Jesus learned what it was like to be a mirror. Jesus would reflect back to people what they had just said to him. He would ask them questions relating to the statements that they had made. He would want them to explain themselves. What a valuable friend you have if you have a friend that acts to you like a mirror. And so the first thing that Jesus did, that he did very well, is Jesus was a good listener. He listened first to God, which is paramount, because if you're not listening to God and you're listening to the world, you're going to get lost. You're not going to be able to help anyone else. But he listened to God first, and then he listened to the people who were around him. Secondly, Jesus spoke honestly. And we talked about this a little bit before, how important it is to be an honest speaker. So let me just quickly read verse 29 for you again, just to refresh your memory what Paul put in, in when he said, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. So a couple of things I want us to note quickly in there. Number one, Jesus said to speak. Some of us are quiet in this room and we think, we think in our heart, in our mind, Jason, I don't have anything worthy to contribute. I don't really have anything to say. What, what, what would I say that would benefit other people? Let me, if that's you here today, I want to tell you that more than likely you have an enormous amount to share. I enjoy listening to quiet people when they choose to share because oftentimes they've thought it through. Oftentimes those waters run deep. There's an old saying that says quiet waters run deep, right? Those waters run deep and the perspective they have, maybe it's different than mine and it's valuable. It helps me to see something differently. So I, I don't want you to think just because maybe I don't have the gift of gab and I'm not the, 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 the social butterfly that maybe my neighbor, my spouse, my, my mom or dad was, that doesn't mean that you don't have something valuable to contribute. And, and we are called to speak, but we're called to speak truth. Remember, we, we, we talked about that, to speak truthfully. And this is a present tense in the Greek right here. It means to actively speak truth every day that we're, we're in the process of when we talk to people, we're saying things that are and we're speaking with truth that's being paramount. We're not guilty of insincere conversation. We could go off and talk about that for a while. We don't have time today. But I think a lot of times we we tend to not be completely sincere in how we talk to people because we're in a hurry. We don't want to get bogged down or we, we don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. Jesus, Jesus was not afraid to say the truth if it needed to be said. But Jesus knew how to speak the truth in love. And if we're going to speak honestly... We've got to know how to speak the truth in love. The Ephesians 4 passage doesn't just stop in verse 29. In fact, if we scoot up ahead um, to 12 or 13 verses or so, uh, 14 verses, he says, instead, in verse 15 of Ephesians 4, speaking the truth in love, we grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. Here's what Paul is kind of saying in essence that our job is to become like Jesus. And if you want one sentence to describe Jesus's communication method, here it is. He spoke the truth in love. He told people what needed to be said, but he said it in such a way that they knew he loved them. And for whatever reason, as humans and as churches, we we tend to polarize ourselves on these things, don't we? On one hand, some of us are, some churches are just beautiful at loving people and just having this big, wide love for the world and love for their community, and they just pour that on. God loves you. We love you. And that's exactly the truth, and that's an awesome thing, right? But some on the other side 
are about the truth. You need to know the truth. This is what God's truth for your life is. You need to do things this way because God's called us to do them this way, right? And, and we need that. We absolutely need the truth because if you're telling people God loves you but you're not telling them that God wants their life to change, if you're telling people that God loves you but you're not telling them that he doesn't want you to stay in your brokenness, you're not telling the whole story. Jesus did both. He told people, this is the truth, and I love you enough to tell you that, and that is something special. I hope and pray that when the story is written for this generation of all of us that are here, it might be said about us that we learned to speak the truth with love. And if, if, if people look at us and say, that church spoke the truth with love, then I think we did our job, guys. I think we did our best to be the body of Christ in the generation that we were called to be that body. Truth can either be a tool to pick up or a, to, a tool to destroy. A Proverbs 12 says it like this, and it says it so well in verse 18. It says, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Guys, we need healing in the world today. We need healing in our homes. We need healing in our communities. We need healing in our churches. We need healing in our nation. And God says that reckless words, reckless words are those words that just kind of fly out of your mouth. If you're like me, the first thing that you think of, that's probably reckless. You should swallow those and come up with some better ones because he says a wise tongue, but the tongue of the wise rather brings healing. It's that person that sits back and thinks it through and then says something but says something that's valuable that truly can make a difference. Colossians 4, Paul puts it a little differently, and Paul is known to be a strong speaker, but he said, let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Thirdly, Jesus did a great job. Not only did he, did he speak truthfully, not only did he have truth and love balanced, but he spoke thoughtfully. James has some, some of the most practical advice in Scripture, and I love what James writes in James 1 and verse 19. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Great advice. So this is for all of us today. Y'all take note too. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. If we were to practice those three things, we would be light years ahead of where we are oftentimes. The writer of Proverbs recognized in Proverbs 13 and verse 3, said the one who guards his mouth preserves his life, right? But the one who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. And, and Solomon told his son this in Ecclesiastes 5. He said, do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. He, he's reminding us that even when we talk to God, that it's important for us to think through how we talk to God. Remember the story of Job? Job, uh, Job has everything and then he has nothing and Job has no idea that he's this grand uh, spectacle for ages of people on both sides of, of, of the power of faithfulness and what God desires for us to be. But Job doesn't know this. All Job knows is one day he's blessed of God. The next day he appears to be cursed of God. He knows he's done nothing wrong and he's frustrated. And he, he communicates that a lot in the middle portions of the book of Job. He says, God, why are you allowing this to happen? Where's the fairness in this? Why don't you fix this? And when God shows up and has a conversation with Job and his friends, one of the first things that God addresses is, well, Job's idle words. 
Job's questions. And God said, do you really have a right to ask those questions of me? And of course, at the end of that, Job's like, no, God, I really don't. And, and the writer in Ecclesiastes, Solomon is reminding his son, be careful even how you speak to God. Recognize that he knows things that we don't. It's okay to be open and transparent with God, but let's think those things through before we say them. Colossians 3 and verse 8 gives us great advice. He said, but now let's put aside anger and wrath and malice and slander and abusive speech from your mouth. There's a guy that came to his preacher and he said, sir, I really only have one talent. And he asked him, what, what's that one talent? And he says, uh, criticism. And the preacher wisely answered back. He said, you know, Jesus told a parable about a guy who had only one talent and he buried it. You should probably do the same thing. Um, there's some wisdom to that sometimes, right? Um, we need to make sure that we're people that speak honestly. That we, that, we speak, that we speak thoughtfully. But let me say this, we need to be people who speak. There's a great story told in the presidency of Abraham Lincoln during the Great War when he calls into his office a, a young military surgeon that's been working tirelessly to care for the needs of wounded Union soldiers. And, uh, and he, the, the young man comes in, he's kind of excited. The President of the United States calls him in, right? He's, he's like, what, what could this be? So as he walks in, President Lincoln asks him a question that appears to be conversational. He said, hey, how's your mom? And, uh, and the, the boy said, uh, well, she's doing well. And Abraham Lincoln said, how do you know that? He said, well, my mother writes me. He said, oh, that's very nice. He said, does your mother know how you're doing? Boy looked at it, the president a little bit and acted like it didn't really matter how he was doing. He said, well, he said, it turns out that your mother has written me. She thinks you're dead and would like us to try to find your body. <laughs> and then the president takes him by the shoulder, and, as the story's told, and sits him down in his, in his own chair, hands him his own pen, and passes him a piece of his own stationery. He says, write a letter to your mother and tell her that you're okay. Uh, sometimes, even though we're busy in life, we need to make time for communication. Communication is valuable with the people that we know and love the most. And sometimes it's easy for us to forget that. So we must make certain that we're careful how we speak. But by all means, we need to still communicate. Don't just say, well, Jason said I shouldn't say anything to anybody. No, that's not what God's calling us to do. God's simply calling us to think through what we say and make sure that what we say, well, that we speak redemptively. And that's the fourth and last thing that Jesus did so very well. When Jesus spoke to people, he brought them back. When Jesus spoke to people, he he corrected things. Paul said this in Colossians 4, again, he said, let your speech always be with grace. There's a couple words there that are tough for me. The first one is always. Because I can manage being gracious sometimes, even maybe many times, but always, always we're to return with grace. Sometimes that's difficult to do when we're misunderstood, when we feel like somebody is taking advantage of us, or even worse, somebody is taking or has taken advantage of our own family, when, when we feel that we're offended or others have been offended that we care about, it's so difficult to practice this kind of attitude, to let my speech always be with grace. You know, there's four areas, and we're going to close with this, that I've always, there's a little acronym that kind of helps me to remember, but four areas that we need to be really careful what we say to people to make sure that our speech is redemptive. And, and the letters of that are H-E-A, or 
H-A-H-E-N. There we go. A-H-E-N. All right? I can't even keep my brain straight right now. A-H-E-N. And, and, and there are four things that really challenge our ability to speak redemptively. The first one is when we're angry. When we're angry, we have to be very, very careful what we say, if you're like me, because I've said things in anger that I never would have ever said when I wasn't angry, and I didn't really even mean them. But my emotion fueled a thought process that wasn't even rational until I said something that I should have never said and I regretted. So the first one is in anger. The second one is when we're hurt. When we're hurting, whether that be physical or whether it's emotional. When we're hurting, we can maybe not speak so redemptively, so graciously. The third, the E, is when we have an expectation that maybe hasn't been met. We think that certain things should have happened or certain things shouldn't have happened. We feel like that we should be, we should be uh, included or not included in a particular thing. And when our expectation isn't met, all of a sudden we step back and we're like, that's wrong, right? And that's a dangerous place for us to be gracious because it's so easy for me when my expectations aren't met for me to become personally offended, personally upset at somebody. And, and I'm always to be gracious in how I returned a comment. The last one is when we have a need, when I need something. And maybe that need isn't being met. Maybe that's in marriage. Maybe that's in a workplace. Even when that may be, may be in a church setting. I need something. Maybe no one's noticed or realized that I have that need or no one's willing to provide that need. Those are the moments in life where it's so hard to communicate redemptively. Remember, I told you that I believe that Jesus was the greatest communicator to ever live. There was a moment in Jesus' life where he had every right in the world to be angry because he was hanging on a cross and it was a complete sham. He'd been put there because others had lied about him. He had done nothing but good and love and care for the world. And his, what did he return in, in, for his, or what was his return for his trouble? Nails through his hands and his feet. There was a day when Jesus was hurting both physically because of the torture that had been inflicted on his body, but emotionally because he had become my sin and your sin. His father had turned his back. The world had abandoned him. There was a day when Jesus' expectation, every one of them, it would seem, had been broken. The very guys that he had spent the last three years living and talking and sharing with, almost all of them, we think, abandoned Jesus and were in hiding. It was only his mother and one, one person that had actually come to the cross to support him in his moment of greatest need. Jesus, in this moment, had every reason to say things that were not gracious. But the words from the cross were, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Mother, here is your son. Son, here is your mother. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus was maybe the greatest communicator, not because of the power of his words, which I have no question were the most powerful words ever spoken. But maybe what makes Jesus the greatest communicator is that at the moment in his life where anyone else would have said other things, Jesus returned all the hate and vitriol and evil intent with grace. 
And he managed to communicate that in such a way that 2,000 years from that moment, we're still blown away by him. We all have a long way to go in communication. I hope maybe this morning this has stirred some thoughts for you. I want to say that if there's anybody in the room today that has a need, you realize, you know what, I need to start a journey with God, and I haven't. The baptistry is always here. We're not going to leave today until the last person walks out of this door. Maybe you have a need in your marriage or in your family or in your life, and you need to sit down and talk with somebody. There'll be people that stay that will want to visit with you. Maybe somebody who's gone through something just like you have gone through. Come catch one of us after the service.